God. Hey, forgive me to our visitors if I have not given you a proper welcome. Thank you for coming tonight. My name's Pastor Chris. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, I linger around after the service if I need be. I'm the last one a lot of times to, to leave along with my security guy or deacon or whoever's locking up. And uh, we'd love to get a chance to meet you if you'd like that. And we're here to serve you. Thank you for coming out on a Wednesday night. Amen. Excited about that. Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, tonight to Luke chapter 4, Luke's Gospel, uh, in the fourth chapter. Praise God. You believing with me tonight? We take a step forward. This is the year to go forward. In fact, Miss Melissa, you got that confession ready? Praise God. On our Vision Sunday recently, I had drafted a confession that I wanted us to make from time to time. Let's go ahead and get ready to do that together. I'll say one, two, three, and let's all uh, repeat it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Since we know we can have what we say when we believe, we say that 2023 is our year to move forward. We forget those things that are behind, and today we press for those things that are before we press toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, me, my family, this church, we reach for all that God has. All that we have set our faith on in 2023 is surely coming to pass. We are possessing our promised land of blessing spiritually, physically, and financially. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. we well, got to say it to move it. And so if you haven't found Luke 4, find Luke 4. But before it escapes me, we also had another thing to be very grateful for and excited about happening. I would be remiss in telling you about. And that is that young Sarah had her baby last night. Uh, I slept right through it. It was, well, it was this morning. Yeah, this, I say like it was dark outside. But you're right, it was... It, about 3 a.m. So you're right. It was, it was this morning, but I, for me it was nighttime. <laughs> and um, mama and baby are both well, but I, I'll just go ahead and say without expressing the whole story, the devil did try to attack them, and uh, uh, it was a very serious situation for them for a, a short while. And uh, she ended up needing an emergency cesarean, they had gotten to the hospital in time. The doctor said, you, you all are both miracles uh, in what we've witnessed and how much blood loss there was. And uh, we're just so grateful. This is what I mean. Aren't we grateful for what doesn't happen? You know how 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there could change everything. And, and thank God for these doctors and nurses and medical people who are working overnight for situations just like this. And the bottom line is... Sarah is well. She's well on her way to recovery. And little Owen looks awesome. And, and, and again, how, how God arranged it. On the same day, we get one graduate away from us. We're welcoming in a new, new assignment to raise up another one for God. And uh, so, anyway, just a lot to rejoice and be grateful over. I think that unless they're sleeping and resting, they may be watching the service from their hospital room tonight. So, mm -mm -mm, love you guys. And Brett, I expect you to be back at work. <laughs> no, I, I gave him a week, and y'all pray for me, because I have become very dependent on my assistant over the last several years. And... Uh, 
In fact, I have like 25 appointments scheduled for tomorrow, and if I forget one of them, it's his fault, all right? And uh, no, we'll, we'll be all right. So I don't want him focused on me right now anyway. So did you find Luke chapter 4? Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for revelation. As my wife said, it's, it's not enough to just hear words. It's not enough to just have a mental understanding of the word. But God, for that word that is light, that is truth, that is life, comes alive on the inside of our heart. And that can only come through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we recognize you and we look to you. I look to you to help me communicate the word, making me an able minister of the New Testament. And that, God, that you're gracing them to lay hold of the word, comprehend the word, and be able to uh, get it firmly planted in the soil of their lives and hearts so that they are forever changed by it. And we thank you for doing this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have uh, not been here on these Wednesday nights, we've been talking about uh, the overarching umbrella subject is learning how to be a covenant-minded person. Amen. And uh, don't have time to rehearse all of that, but uh, we know uh, that uh, every, every dear relationship, every meaningful relationship would benefit from, that you have in your life, uh, would benefit from having a covenant mindset. Right? Uh, a married couple that doesn't have a covenant mindset, let me say it that way, is a vulnerable couple. They're a vulnerable couple. Because if, uh, if a couple gets married, you know, Dr. Dufresne talked about three kinds of marriages. Number one, he said there's flesh marriages. And this is where people get married because they're in love with each other's bodies. But you know, gravity's going to get everybody eventually. <laughs> That's what he said. I don't believe it, but anyway, I'm fighting it, you know. We'll poke it, we'll prod it, we'll, whatever we got to do, right? But, uh, and so that, you know, flesh marriages are doomed to fail. They're just doomed to fail. And then he said the second type of marriages, there's mental marriages. And that's where people are in love with each other's brains. Mm, you know, and all that. But that's not, that's not enough to last 50 years. I'm just telling you it's not. But then there's a spirit marriage where God's involved and he's assigned two people to bring together. And there's, there's just extra grace when it comes on that, you know, and, and uh, we want to have a spirit marriage. And, uh, but, uh, you know, even in, even in like, I can definitely look back, my wife and I, and see God's hand bringing us together and putting us together. And, but uh, I still have flesh and she still has flesh and it, it takes a covenant mindset to just, Stay with someone uh, when you don't have feelings. Right? Amen. You know, would y'all believe that she has irritated me one time before? Have you ever, would you believe that? Probably not. Amen. You'd probably believe that I irritate her on a regular basis. And, uh, I understand where you're coming from. But we want to, uh, you know, I'm covenant minded towards my children. I'm covenant minded toward this church. I'm covenant minded toward my nation. Are you with me? And so, but uh, not everybody, in fact, fewer and fewer people among us because of the culture know anything about what I've been talking about. And so I hope that you've been here. If you've not, all those messages are available on the website, the podcast, the Facebook, the YouTube, all of that. We make it easy for you these days, and you could just go back and catch up with us. 
But we got to talking about one of the pillars of a covenant mindset is honor. Is honor. And uh, honor is another one of those things that's a lost virtue in the society we live in today. Our society and culture is seeped in dishonor and disrespect. And disrespect is celebrated in our culture today. And it ought not be. And, and the world is going to do what the world is going to do. But it's really sad to have seen, especially over the last 20 years that I've observed, that such dishonor and casualness and disrespect has gotten into the church world. Has gotten into the, uh, the way we do church, the way we've come to church. And, and uh, you know, and we have, uh, and when leaders lower standards to accommodate a culture, it's going to cost the church much, and it has cost the church much. And so if we're ever going to get back the fullness of God's power and blessing, like uh, He wants to manifest Himself, then we're going to have to change course. We're going to have to repent as a church. I'm talking about the church at large, and I'm thinking about the word repent in its technical definition, which means Change your mind and change your direction. Hallelujah. Tonight I want to, uh, I had on my heart to minister to us about honor and miracles or the connection between honor and miracles. Amen. And uh, so we're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 4 and for just a moment. But Brother Hagin, I heard him say it. I've read books where he's been quoted in it. Uh, and he would say it over and over and over again. You know, he would say, we just don't, he would talk to God and say, you know, talking about in the 90s and, uh, and, and in the 80s, he said, we just don't have moves in the church like we had when I was pastoring in the 40s, when I was on the field in the, in the 40s and 50s. You know, he would talk about services where all of a sudden a spirit of prayer would fall on the congregation. Nobody said anything. The minister didn't say anything. And they didn't have nurseries back then. They had all the babies and the kids and the young kids and all of a sudden a holy hush came upon everybody, and everybody just sat there. And I mean, for, you know, an hour, sometimes two hours, and a baby not cry, no disturbing, they would just sit there in the presence of God. Or all of a sudden, you know, without anyone saying anything, the, from the babies to the oldest, everybody is on their face, on their face praying. It's just a move of the Spirit. I remember one time Brother Hagin rehearsed a time where he was uh, doing a meeting, and, uh, you know, two, two sections he described, main doors in the back, similar to what we have here. And then all of a sudden, a wind, not a natural wind, but a, you could feel and hear the wind of the Holy Ghost blow through from the front to the back. And uh, he, he consciously, Brother Hagin said, I got out of the way of that wind because I saw it coming from the back to the front. And it, when that wind hit people in the back, they were all on the floor, just slain in the Holy Ghost, just knocked out in the power of God. So he got out of the way of it. And when it, when it blew out the, the back wall of the church, he looked down and every sinner and every backslider in the building was in the altar on their knees crying out to God and they didn't know how they got there. Hallelujah. You don't hear about stuff like that happening in the church today. Well, that's not because God doesn't want manifestations like that to happen. Amen. In fact, Brother Hagin was rehearsing another thing to the Lord. He said, Lord, it's, it's, it's grievous to me. It bothers me that, you know, back, back, referring back to that day in the 30s when he began to pastor and on the field in the 40s and 50s, he said, 
we didn't have back then the level of chronic disease and serious diseases in the church congregation that we have today. And he said immediately the Spirit of God spoke back to him and said, yeah, and my people were more consecrated back to me back then also. Now you can say amen or oh me. Amen. But anyway, Brother Hagin would say this to us often. He would say, when reverence and honor are restored, there will be a restoration and a multiplication of the miraculous power of God. Amen. God is not going to manifest Himself in an atmosphere of dishonor. God is not going to manifest His gifts and His power and His glory in an atmosphere of disrespect. Even if the disrespect is coming out of people ignorantly, they don't know, He's still not going to do it. And so you can see people need miracles. And miracles are God's plan. The gifts of the Spirit in manifestation is God's plan for His people, for the church, and for the world. Amen? But uh, one big ingredient or hindrance to the outpouring of the Spirit is the irreverence and the dishonor and the disrespect in the church today. Amen? Hallelujah. One of the things Reverend Joel Siegel, my friend, said, he said, the great things we desire to see are not held back due to a lack of power. They are, <coughs> excuse me, they are held back due to a lack of honor. Well, I don't know about you. I, I don't have a voice with the whole body of Christ or with very many people, but I got this place, amen, that I'm responsible for, amen. And so uh, are you, uh, I have limited time, so I'm going to move ahead, okay? I want to get where, where there is dishonor, where there's disrespect, or where there's just a failure to honor, we want to get rid of that. We want to fix that. So that we can have and enjoy the fullness of God's power and blessing in this day. Amen. So here in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse number 16, we're reading a, an account. Jesus had been, his time of ministry had come. He'd been baptized in the Holy Ghost at Jordan. And he did his first miracle at Cana. You remember he turned water into wine. And from there he just began to work. Miracles began to just take place like popcorn. The Bible says in the book of John that John, when he wrote his gospel, he concluded it with this saying. He said, and I suppose if everything that we witnessed and everything he did, everything we saw were to be written, that the volumes of the books of the world could not contain them. So what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is just a hand-picked sampling of accounts that the Holy Spirit deemed that we needed to have for our Bible to be sufficient. Amen. But, but it would take the volumes of the books of the world back then, for, for he supposed, for everything they saw and witnessed to be recorded. So we're talking about miracle, 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 miracle. Well, this is going on, and now it's time for him to, in his rotation, in his circuit, to come home, to come to Nazareth, to come to his own hometown. And you got to know, as he approached, how hopeful he was how excited he was in his own hometown to see the sick there healed. Amen. To perform miracles there, to preach the good news to the poor, to see demoniacs delivered, to people, uh, people in his own hometown uh, receive of the goodness of God through his ministry. If you want to do good anywhere, you want to do good at home. Amen. And so in verse 16 it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom or his habit was, oh, Dr. Frame would stop right there and he'd preach. I don't really have time to. But he'd say, notice that even Jesus had the habit of going to church. Amen. He went into the synagogue. That was church back then. Amen. And we need to keep a good habit of going to church in these last days with all the distractions and everything. Anyway, and he went into the synagogue there at Nazareth and he, uh, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book or the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Esaias is Isaiah. And when he had opened the book or the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So he found his text. He's ready to preach. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of Jubilee. Amen? And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, notice it said as his custom was, this is what he did. He stood up when it was his time to preach. He picked his text. And he preached this sermon evidently everywhere he went. Jesus told Brother Hagin in one of those visions uh, that he preached this sermon, took this text in the first city, first village. This is the first thing he did everywhere he went. And there's a scripture that substantiates that as his custom was. Well, every other place that he went, people responded in faith. He's proclaiming to them, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. If you're poor, good news today, I'm anointed to get that off of you. Amen? If you've got a broken heart, there's an anointing on my life right now today where you're going to get mended up. Amen? If you're blind today, I'm going to open up your eyes. Hallelujah. This was God's will. This was God's plan that uh, he's going to proclaim what he's anointed to do, who he is. It's time. It's time. It's time for my ministry. And now it's time for you to receive what others have received. If you're sick, get ready to be healed. If you're bound, get ready to be set free. That's, that's what everybody else had. And that's what he was hoping that they would have. But as we're going to see, it didn't turn out that way. Amen. And so in verse 20 it says, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the, now, he sat down on that, on that platform. There's a chair, a special chair, that Jewish custom says was reserved for the Messiah. No one sat in that chair. Well, he went over that day, and he sat down in that chair that no one sat in. And remember, this is childhood church. This is where he grew up. And that's why the Bible says, and all their eyes were fastened on him. Because no, the rabbi, no one sat in. That was the Messiah chair. Amen. Do you see in verse 20 it says, and all the eyes of them were in the, that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. That's why. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What's he telling them? Picture him. Boom. He said, I'm him. I'm him. And I'm ready to be him in your life today. You know, tonight, Jesus wants to be Jesus in your life tonight. Jesus really wants to be Jesus. He wants to be able to be Jesus in your life tonight. Amen. 
You know, Jesus cannot be Jesus in a lot of his own churches. Jesus is not allowed to be Jesus in a lot of places in the body of Christ today. They don't want it. They've declared it. They put it on their website. None of that Holy Ghost stuff around here. And Jesus is not able to be Jesus. And I know that makes religious devils mad. You know, this false idea that God can at any time do anything he wants to do. But the, if you've got any respect for the Bible, I'm going to show you tonight that's not true. Amen. And so look at verse 22. It says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words, with words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is where it begins to go south. And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have done, heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So he's telling them, You're going to tell me, Yeah, we heard about all this miracle stuff that this boy we knew in, in Nazareth is out there doing. Do it here. But do you hear the tone? Yeah, go ahead, do it here. We don't believe it. Prove it to us. You know, God doesn't move on that. He doesn't move based on that. Do here also in thy country. And then he said in verse 24, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his, home, in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent except to uh, Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Now, do you understand? Do you follow that? Do you follow what he's saying there? I'll help you, okay? He's basically saying, you know, it's just a prophet is not without honor. He says, even back then, when Elijah, the man of God, was around, and he had proclaimed a drought in the land for three and a half years, there were lots of widows suffering under that famine who had a covenant with God, a God that had promised to take care of them. But unto none of them was Elijah sent to help them except to one widow of Sarepta, and she's, it's, a, it's a pagan, it's a Gentile. What he's saying here, isn't it sad that back in that day, that all of these widows were suffering. And there was a man of God there that could help them. But none of God's covenant people got any help. Yet here this Gentile got the miracle of her cruise of oil. Amen. And her and her son were sustained when covenant people were going without. Now why? What is the lesson? Because covenant people did not recognize who they had in their midst. They showed him no honor, no respect, no faith. And so forth. Though, though they had a covenant with God, they got nothing. That is what Jesus is reminding them of. Amen. Then he gives them another example from another prophet, Elisha. Verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha. You know, that's, uh, they put that old name in there. It's really Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian, not a Jew. So here again, under Elisha's tenure, you have a prophet who can work miracles. Think about Jewish people back then, Hebrews. They had many lepers in the land. 
and they died with their leprosy. And God had put in their midst a prophet who could cure leprosy. But none of them got that miracle because none of them honored him. None of them regarded him. They didn't receive from him because they did not honor him. And Jesus is upgirding his primary point. A prophet is not without honor except among his own kin, in his own hometown, in his own family. He said, you know, he's basically saying, I came here really hopeful to my own hometown that I could get over to you what I've been able to get over to others. But you're not going to get it because you don't see me as a prophet. You can't, you're not accepting me as the Messiah. You can't get past the fact that you saw me grow up and that you knew my mom and dad and that my brothers and sisters are here with us. We'll bring that into today. God could raise up a man of God and make him a pastor. Amen? And the pastor have brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and they don't get anything because they can't get past knowing the kid before God moved on him and gifted him and anointed him and they can't get anything out of him. Amen? This is one of the reasons why God moves many uh, that he calls to a full-time office of ministry to a different town from where they grew up. This is an honor issue. Are you with me? I said, this is an honor issue. And do you see what it cost those people that day? Amen. So let's keep reading. And it says in verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Another translation says they were filled with rage. You know, there's a big difference between hearing something from a man of God and being filled with faith and filled with rage. You know, when I was really young and really green, and, but uh, I had met Amber, I had met Miss Cheryl, I had met their pastor. They had introduced me to Brother Hagin. I was devouring the books and, and I was learning and I was growing and I'd begun to uh, discover some things in the Word about healing. In my church where I grew up, they always acknowledged and said from the pulpit and the stage that God can heal, but He doesn't always. And for some reasons, He seldom does. The best we can do is pray to be healed, but accept His final judgment about it and just trust Him. And that's what I was told over and over and over and over and over again. But see, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and that never, that never seemed right to me. And when I actually went home and started reading the Bible for myself, hello, and I began to see scriptures like Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. I'm starting to see some stuff. Well, about that time, my dad, for whatever reason, uh, was not able to, to, going to be able to be in his Sunday morning Sunday school class. My dad, uh, is he'll be 80 in April. And he did have a, a short little deal of retirement, but he's been teaching Sunday school for 30 years, 35. And I'm talking about a good-sized Sunday school, like 35, 40, 50 people. And so for, he couldn't be there that day, so he asked me if I'd like to fill in. And I was like, shark on chum, man, I am, yes, absolutely I will. And I knew exactly what I was going to preach. 
I'm going to preach healing, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't got to be sick no more. And I, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I was so excited about it. And I just knew when I got done, they were going to line up when the bell rang and be as excited as I was. Well, I went in there and I preached it hard and fast. And they were drinking their coffee, eating their donut. And the bell rang and they lined up. But they lined up vicious and angry. Some of them shaking when they got to the podium. And they said stuff to me like, uh, I tell you what, boy, I know my grandma. She prayed and had faith and God didn't heal her. And that's just the way it is. And walked off. And I mean, I had about 35 testimonies about just like that. But before it's over, I'm bursting out in tears. I just didn't get that. And I had a 45-minute drive back to where they weren't with me. They went to their church, a good church. Amen. Where they don't crucify people for good news. And so we were going to have lunch. I cried all the way to Norman. And I went in and I tried to dab myself, get myself together. And their pastor was having lunch with the family that day. And they could tell something was wrong. And he got to me first and he said, uh, what? What is wrong? And I told him the story. And he said, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Amen. I've been a member of the club ever since. Well, I mean, the, these people, what are they doing? They're, they, you know, basically, you know the story, right? They, they're filled with wrath. Amen. They rose up, verse 29, thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill. That's nice King James language to mean the edge of the cliff whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. I mean, they are murderous with rage. And then we're just reading along. We're reading our Bible chapter, and we read verse 30. But passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Have you ever stopped? I stopped one day, and I went, how did that work? Just so casually, it says, but Jesus just passed through the midst of them and went his way. They had, he didn't want to go to the cliff. They had hold of him in an angry, murderous mob. They are pushing and carrying him to the brow of the cliff. He must have, the angel showed up. It could have been an angel showed up and the sea parted. And he just walked through their midst. Hi, boys, you know. Or he just became transparent, translucent. And it says he passed through the middle of them. I, I would have loved, I want to see the replay when we get to heaven. <laughs> Amen. And it just goes on, says he went down to Capernaum and the city in Galilee and taught them on established and he just went on about his way. But go over to Mark's account of this real quick. Did they get any miracles? They didn't. Is it evident to a uh, an honest student of the Bible so far, why they didn't get any miracles. Well, if God wants to heal us, He just will. Well, He didn't that day. Is this just a, He got offended, Jesus, and said, well, fine, I'm, I'm withholding? No. No, we're going to see that here in Mark chapter 6. Now, this is Mark's account of the same incident. In verse number 1. And he went out from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. 
And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? See, they're hearing the testimonies of what God has done through Jesus in other places. But notice verse 3. Is not this the carpenter? Did they call him what he was? Did they call him the Messiah? Did they call him even a prophet? No, they called him a carpenter. The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simeon, are not his sisters here with us? And look at this. And they were what? They were offended. See, you got some of these things that they're cousins, they flow together. Dishonorable people are quick to get trapped in offense. Touchy, 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 offended about everything. They don't have any honor. If you're quick to be offended, it's an honor issue. Amen? You get offended with your mother and father? I don't care for what reason. You've just dishonored them because they have a God-ordained place in your life. You get offended at your pastor? You've dishonored the pastor. Amen. They were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but or except in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Now, if you have something to mark your Bible with, look in verse 5. And he could there. Did it say he would not? It said he could not. The Lexham English Bible says he was not able. The Lexham translation says he was not able to do a miracle there. There is an honor-miracle connection. There is a dishonor-no-miracle connection. Amen. He could there do no mighty work, save or except that he laid his hands upon a few. So see, he tried, didn't he? He's not mad at them but he cannot get to them what they need while their response to him is dishonor, offense, familiarity, and disrespect. There's no faith in that. Faith can't flow in offense. Faith can't flow in disrespect. Faith cannot flow and, man, and, and operate in an atmosphere of familiarity. And can I say to this congregation, not that you are, but you have to check yourself. I have been the pastor here now for almost 22 years. I've been coming to the pulpit at least twice a week on average saying, open your Bible. Amen. And we've rubbed shoulders and we've had time and we've become friends, some of us. And there's fellowship and you found out that, uh, you know, that I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. That I sweat under my arms like everybody else. That I'm not exactly perfect like you once thought I was like everybody else. Amen. And if you, in your mind, in your heart, you stop receiving me as your pastor, you're done. You can come and sit and go through the motions, but you will never receive again like you once did. And you'll end up blaming me for not feeding you. But the real issue is you've become familiar with me as a man. And it's your job, it's my job to help warn you of this and teach you about it, but it is your job to guard the honor. 
Amen? It is your job to guard against familiarity. That's what they did to Jesus. He's just like us. We remember him. He's the carpenter, this big lofty thing who he thinks he's the Messiah. And it, they took this attitude like, I cannot believe. Who does he think he is? The problem was, he was that. that that's the problem. That he was that. You know, every other charlatan that blew through town, they would be right to, you know, under the law to, to, to take a false Messiah and throw him off the cliff. The problem was, he was that. So, you know, I, I want to say some things to us, and oh man, I hate that clock. <laughs> Amen. No doubt, they didn't come to church that day looking to be disrespectful. Looking, they, they were not like, let's go be dishonorable at church today. That, that's not. But they ended up in that place. And they ended up cut off from the flow of the miraculous. What, I want to point out, what is the root of this? You can't get to honor without perception. Your, what you, how you perceive defines how you're going to receive. You can't get to honor until you see something honorable about that person or about that venue, about that event. See, if you have the right concept about what happens in this sanctuary and on this campus, it, with that, if you have the right concept of that according to the Word, it will shape how you come to church. A lot of people, in their minds, they are not thinking Let's show some dishonor and disrespect for God and the man of God and the pastor by not coming tonight. That's, that's not what they're thinking. But because they don't see what happens here, they don't perceive it to be the holy, awesome meeting place where God's people meet together to hear from God as God would anoint a mere man to speak unto them and minister unto them. They don't see life there. They don't see healing there. They don't see breakthrough there. And they don't, they just, and so they don't, they treat it with disdain and lightness and casualness. See, you cannot get to honor unless you properly perceive. The way you perceive is going to determine how you receive. Amen? So see, Dr. Jacobs is coming in March. I receive him as a prophet because I perceive that office in his life, that mantle. And that defines my whole approach to that man and to that meeting. I will be here. If I have to move, shift, whatever, I'm, you know, I got kids' birthdays during that month, I will be right here. Amen? Notice, do you see their warped, wrong, naturally dominated perception of the man Jesus robbed them of what God wanted to get to them. They got to dishonor because of their perception. Their perception defined their reception. Amen? 
And so you and and to to develop a right perception, you you need to live sensitive to and acquainted with the Holy Ghost. I am nothing more than bones and water and flesh. In right, what you see here, I I have hands and feet of clay. But there's more than that to me. But it would take a spiritually in tune person. Now, it used to be just in the culture, there was respect and honor for the title. That's gone. That's been obliterated. The devil's been very successful. I don't get any regard or respect in town or anywhere I go because I'm a reverend or a pastor or anything like that in most places. That's just, been, that's just been done away with. But see, spiritual people. See, I, I got around. John didn't know me. His name was John, their, their pastor at the time that I met them. They didn't know me. But just through some fellowship, he had a highly developed sense of spirituality. And he saw the pastoral office in me before I did. He started fishing that thing out of me before I ever recognized it. He didn't call me to the ministry. But see, his, his spiritual sensitivity saw something in a mere vessel that even I didn't see. You know, a real spiritual father will be able to perceive and, and see some things in you. And if you're invited to do something, don't just reject it because you don't think you can. Maybe he, there's probably a reason why he asked you to get involved in that helps ministry or that, that area of Right? Y'all with me? Real quick, real quick. Go to Matthew 10. I want to show you this real quick. Y'all all right? See if, uh, and, and if, if the people at work knew who you were. If you would let, if you would stop hiding and masking and contaminating who you really are by carnal and wrong behavior. But if you would let your light shine and live a righteous and holy separated life and, and have faith and get answers to your prayer, if, you're, if, if your co-worker in the break room breaking under oppression and depression because she's going through a divorce knew who you were, knew what you carried, knew the name that you know that you could speak, then there's something, it's not, this is not just a five-fold minister thing. We are the body of Christ. We are Christians. But see, they're blinded so many times to what you have and what you carry. And most of the modern church and Christians, we don't help them a lot. We drink like they do. We cuss like they do. We, we, we. Why would they perceive anything about you? That's a problem. I've said the people around you that know you every day, if they don't know you're a Christian, that's a problem. Now, Kamal, in your, in your missionary newsletter, your next newsletter, you're going to have an article in there called Three Sweaty Men, are you not? I want to, I want, and that's my, the title, Three Sweaty Men. Because that will make people stop and read it. Three Sweaty Men in a missionary newsletter. Kamal goes to a gym, and after the gym, after he works out, there's a sauna, and he likes to witness to people in the sauna. And he had this big burly man come in and sit down beside him and he was doing something. Kamal said, brother, you need Jesus. And the guy says, I think I do. Talk to me. 
And so he's talking to him about Jesus and answering some questions that he had from the Bible. And the guy's like riveted, like I'm, I'm receptive, like tell me more. And then another sweaty man comes in and sits down beside and says, well, what about me? I need Jesus. So I want an article about three sweaty men. Come on, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back very soon. We got to, we got to tell people. Amen. I mean, man, you're really doing something when you make the song of your pulpit, man. You're just getting after it. I love it. All right, Matthew 10. I don't know how I got off on that, but I'm glad I did. So, verse 40, Matthew 10, 40. Now, Jesus has just commissioned them, and he's, he's sending them out in ministry teams two by two, right? And so they're going to be away from him for a while, and they're going out in his name. They're going to go preach. They're going to command people to repent. They're gonna, they said, if you find some sick people there, heal them. If you find some demonic people there, cast the devil out of them. And then look at, look at what he says to them in verse 40. He that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. Notice this is going, it's going from you to me to the throne. And it's how God sees it. Peter and, uh, Peter and John, you, you guys going together? Okay, you're going to, oh, Peter and Andrew, your brothers, you're going together? Listen, you represent me. And how they receive you is defining how, if they receive you, they're receiving me because I sent you. And if they receive me because they received you, they're really receiving the Father who sent me. And good things will happen. But he also said if they don't, shake the dust right off your feet. He said ultimately it will be better for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the people that don't receive you. See, this is an honor issue. He that receives you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Naaman the Syrian, oh, he, he had some trouble. He was in his flesh, didn't he? He was all proud. He didn't want to go dip in the dirty Jordan River. But ultimately, because of a wise servant, he regarded the word of the Lord. And God called it that honor, amen, and faith. And when he dipped the seventh time, his leprosy was clean. He received the prophet's reward, what he needed from the man of God. He was healed of his leprosy. Right? The widow there, the pagan widow that got her cruise of oil multiplied for a year and her son ate. It happened because she regarded the prophet as a prophet. She heeded the prophet's reward. She got that miracle because of the way she perceived him and received him. What if she just said, no solicitors, solicitors, can't you read the sign? Get out of here, get off my porch. She's dead. Amen? And it goes on and says, but he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever shall give uh, a drink to one of these little ones, a cup of cold water in my name, in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now you might think that these are three different people. I guess that's possible. 
But isn't it likely that Jesus is saying, this is one man being perceived on three different levels, a prophet, a righteous man, and a disciple. And people's perception of who that man is defines what they get. All right, let's, let's close. Let's close in 2 Kings. Now, I wrote a book out there called The Prophet Honor Connection, but you could, I could have easily called it The Miracle Honor Connection. Honor must be in place for miracles to flow. Are you with me in that? Honor must be in place, and that means there must be a divine recognition. Dad Dufresne would say this. He said one of the big hits or knocks against this modern generation is their failure to recognize greatness in people. Amen? Dr. Dufresne, wow, what he carried. The man of God he was. The, the dimension of that and the skill with that prophet's office. And to see people treat him like an ordinary man. To disrespect, to disregard, grieves you. And, agree, and, and now we know how God perceives it, right? The only way, the way it is now with Jesus at the Father's right hand for us to honor God is to honor and receive the ones He sends. And if we don't see our answer in the ones God sends at strategic times to help us, we'll go without. And I don't want, God doesn't want any of us to go without. Just a few verses here and we'll, we'll close. Now, we'll close on the positive side. Amen. So, it fell on a day, we're looking at verse 8, it fell on a day that Elisha, what office does he stand in? Office of the prophet. It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. Why would you pressure a man to eat a meal with you? She's married, right? So she doesn't need a man. Well, well, we'll see. And so it was that as often as this man passed by, he turned in there to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I... Oh, oh, oh. What's it? Do you see it? Uh, mark it. Mark it, mark it. Do you see it? Behold, now I perceive... I perceive that this is a holy man of God that passes by us continually. Now, I don't know, let's say Shunem's got 5,000 people in it. History and the Bible does not record that I know, I know the Bible doesn't record that any other person in that city got anything out of this prophet. Nothing. But she did. Big, she got miracles. She got supernatural provision and favor and a child when she could not have one. And then when he died as an uh, 18-year-old from a sunstroke, the prophet raised him from the dead. Nobody else in the whole city got, they got nada, they got nothing. She said, and it all begins with this right here. I perceive. Now notice, and I'm closing, her perception defined what she did next.
Amen? I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us make an aliyah. That's the Hebrew word there. A little chamber. I pray thee on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool. Now, now I don't know what's, what's I, I appreciate my King James Bible so much, but I don't know why, why, why they translated this stool. You look it up in the Hebrew for yourself, it means throne. And I, I've got Hebrew commentaries that said this would have been the nicest piece of furniture in her home. The Hebrew word Elias, special things happened in Elias. Daniel prayed in and Elias. You study a lie through the old end. Where did Jesus celebrate the Passover with his disciples? An Eliah is an upper room. Jesus had his Passover in an Eliah with his disciples. Daniel prayed his holy prayers and had visions in an upper room in an Eliah. Where was the Holy Ghost poured out? Come on, we need to get higher. We need to go up. Yeah, let's, amen. He was poured out. In that upper room, in that Eliah. She built this room for him. She added on to her house for him. You read it, you know, put a candle and a stool and a cot. You know, it's got this dingy place, it's cold, and that, that's what I you that's what the King James picture creates me. But if you understand the context of the history, the Hebrew, this would have been the nicest room in her home. Elias were not family spaces. Uh, one Hebrew commentator, Dake, says, Elias were kept for the most honored, for the entertainment of most honored guests. Why is she doing all of this for him? Is she trying to work him? No. She perceived that's a holy man of God. There's no record she tried to get anything out of him, any personal benefit. She just wanted to bless him because of how she perceived it. And she did all this stuff. She built him a sanctuary where he could rest as he traveled on his travels when he came. Smart lady, right? Let's get the prophet of God and keep him close by. Let's take care of him. And then one day, I don't have time, I'm going to let you go. Go get my little book, The Prophet Honor Connection. First printing, I'm almost out. I have less than 20 left. And it just came by divine revelation. So she leaves his presence one day and all of a sudden something gets on the prophet. And he says to Gehazi, his servant, what must be done for her? What must be done for her? What must be done for her? Did she ask for anything? Not that we have any record of. What must be done for her? Something's got to be done for her. And so Gehazi goes, well, he's trying to be a good assistant. He says, well... Uh, you know, and so basically he calls her, get her in front of me. And so the prophet says, uh, you got any problem with gang members in the neighborhood? I can talk to law enforcement. I'm really good in with the, with the, with the squad. She goes, no, I'm good. Uh, I'm going to have a meeting with the king next week. Would you like me to drop your name? You know what she said? No, I'm fine. I'm good. She poo-pooed his every attempt to bless her. Read it. And so he, she leaves again, but the prophet won't let it go. She's gone now. You would have thought, just leave it, just leave it alone. But no. See, something from God now 
because she's working a law. He that honors me. Remember what we've been reading in Samuel? He that honors me, him will I will honor. Would you say, Brother David, you said if you sow in honor, you'll reap in glory? Is that what you said? Because honor and glory a lot have about the same definition. I like that. You know, if we'll pay the honor we owe, we'll reap from the honor we sow. And so he won't let it go. He won't let it go. And he's still walking around asking the servant Gehazi. And Gehazi finally hits it. He says, you know what? She doesn't have any children. And they're up in years. And the prophet goes, that's it. Get her back here. Okay, so he gets her back. He doesn't ask her if she wants to change diapers at 55. She doesn't, she doesn't ask her if she's gone through menopause. She doesn't ask her if she's interested in breastfeeding at this age. She, the prophet gets in front of her and says, this time next year, according to the time of life, you will embrace a son. You read it. That's what happened. And you know what she said? The Cody translation would say this. She said, don't mess with me, preacher. You just touched a sensitive spot in a mama's heart. And I didn't ask you for anything. I didn't bring anything up. I didn't make some prayer request. And he just basically said, it'll be as I said. And a verse or two later, it says, nine months later, she's embracing a baby. And God told me in 2017, honor must be repaid. That's how God sees it. Honor must be repaid. And she got the prophet's reward. Why? Not because she was a woman of faith. She became a woman of faith later. But right here, her faith's not mentioned. She didn't even have enough faith to bring it up as a prayer request when the prophet was begging her, what do you want? So it's not her faith. She got that because of how she perceived him and how she perceived him dictated how she treated him. And God said, can't let that go. What is the deepest, innermost longing of her heart? She's got to have it. I'm going to make sure she does. And it took a creative miracle. I'm done. Do you see it? I said, do you see it? Meditate on this. I didn't talk tonight about what honor looks like. But you need to find out. Notice you can see she, she treated him as a rare and precious gift. Not just an ordinary Joe passing through town. And it's not about, people will say, that's hero worship. You know, when, when Brother Scott or Miss you know, Joy gets up on our birthdays and, and wants to do something, listen, I, don't, I, I know that y'all will be blessed if you show honor. So I, I'm for it, and I'm appreciative of everything the church has done. But I'm not actively involved in. Bless God, you better get up there and raise me. For you. That, that's, that would be ugly. But I'm not going to stop the show of honor for the office. Because people that do that, churches that 
are not willing to let their pastor suffer. But they take good care of him and his family like y'all do. You get, you get blessed. So we just need to learn in all of our relationships how to be honorable. If I didn't have my wife today, I would be awakened in a new way to how precious and how what a blessing she is in my life. Well, I don't want that to happen for me to have to be awakened to that. I want to treat her now. Handle her now. Right? As the precious gift that she is. Amen. Let's all stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. There is an honor, miracle, connection. Praise God.